Good morning, Faith family. How are you? Good. You look good. Well, some of you look really good, and uh, I'm glad. I'm glad that you're here. I want to invite you this morning to take your Bible, and I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter four. Dustin, good to see you back, dude. Yeah, man. Wayne back. No more vacations the rest of the year. You know that's what I'm talking about. Philippians chapter four. I'm glad that you're here. I want to tell you what I want to do today, church. Um, I want us to look at two verses, okay? Just two verses. And I want to I wanna talk to you on the subject on how you and I can find personal peace in life. Now, that's a tall subject, isn't it? Uh, but it's what Paul gives to us in our study. And gang, I want to tell you, I, I, I thought about this week and when I finished my studying and when I wrote out the sermon, and I read over the sermon, I want to tell you what I said to myself. Um, and forgive, I hope you don't get this wrong. But I, I said to myself, this may be the most important sermon that I've ever preached to Tom. It may be as important as any sermon as you've ever heard. And the reason I say that is not because of Tom, but because of the subject matter that Paul deals with, with this church that he so, so deeply loves. How can you and I get a handle on personal peace, inside peace? Now, beloved, we may not always be able to live in peace with other people. We should strive for that. The Bible challenges us to do that. In fact, Romans 12, 18 says, if it's possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with other people. I, if there's going to be non-peace, let it be with them, is what Scripture says. There may be some times because of maybe dynamics, personalities, circumstances. There may be some times, gang, that we just can't always be at peace with other people, although we ought to strive for it, and the Bible challenges us to do it. There may be times, and in fact, frankly, it's hard to live at peace in circumstances that sometimes are swirling all around us and at times seemingly out of control, although, again, we should strive for it. The Bible addresses it. In fact, next week, we're going to deal with it. But here's what I want you to know today. The biggest challenge that I'll ever face and the biggest challenge I believe that you'll ever face as being, uh, being at peace with ourselves. Getting my head right. Getting my, my thinking right. So that I understand who I am. Who God is. And how that God is working in my life. Does the Bible address peace of mind? Is there help for the disturbances that we find within us. And based upon Philippians chapter 4, primarily verse 8 and verse 9, 
The answer is yes. But I need to remind you of something. Something that you've heard from me over the last four or five weeks and probably getting tired of hearing, but you'll continue to hear as long as we're on this subject. There must be, first of all, theological peace before Philippians chapter 4 makes any kind of sense or help for you. Now what that means is this. Gang, you've got to know that you're saved. You've got to know the nature that you have that is opposed to God running at breakneck speed away from God. And you need to know what the consequences of that is. That it's separation from God in hell for all of eternity. And you have to know that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the shed blood of the cross, that he has reconciled you to him and he's forgiven you of your sin and he's poured into you his righteousness. And if you don't have that down, then Philippians chapter 4 is not going to work for you. If you don't get that down, I'm going to tell you that life is not going to work for you because you have nothing inside of you giving you that contentedness or that settledness that you desperately need that only comes from the Holy Spirit of God. But once you get that, once you know that you know, like the old preachers used to say, you got to know that you know that you know that you know that you know. You're saved. Once you get that, then, oh, beloved, you can work with other people. Maybe not always 100%, but you can at least get along as far as it depends upon you. You can handle the swirling of all the circumstances that seem to waylay you and, and, and beat you up and, and bring confusion and, and concern into you. You can deal with that. And you can deal with yourself once you know what God has done by slaying his son on the sacrifice, the altar for your sin. Now, as we begin, I think all of us, every believer in here, would agree with this statement. The key to the blessed life is obedience. You agree with that? Now, by the blessed life, I'm not talking about what we see on TV and all this Tommy rot that's going around that, that God is a Santa Claus. I'm not talking about that. When I talk about the blessed life, I'm, I'm talking about a life that's content with God, a life at, at peace with God. And I think that if you're a believer today and you've had any kind of experience with God at all or any kind of length at all of time with God, I think you would agree with me that the key to the blessed life is obedience. Do you, do you agree with that? One person say amen. amen. Good. Two people. Okay. Yeah. The key is obedience. Now, while our imperfections are glaring, what I want you to know is that when you and I are in a season of obedience toward God, things just seem to work better. And I want to be careful. In fact, I wrote down specifically season of obedience because, gang, I think all of us have seasons when we're just not really that hot and heavy for God. I don't know about you, 
But there are some times that if I didn't have to come to church on Sunday, I may not show up. I understand I got to, and or I won't get a pay. Don won't sign my paycheck. I understand that I gotta come, you know. But I want to tell you, there's some times that I don't feel like coming to church, and there's some times I don't feel like studying the Bible, and there's some times I don't, I don't, I don't feel like praying. There's some times I don't feel like going to the hospital late at night or early in the morning. There's those seasons when there's a part of me that wants to go out on the lake and go fishing. You know, But there are seasons in my life where God just kindles some things. When God just warms my heart and the word of God is fresh. And the prayers, it's like I'm sitting in a chair facing my, my Lord in another chair. When I'm around God's people and the love oozes out. You know what I'm talking about? Those seasons where things just seem to be doing better and it's in those seasons of obedience to God that I just seem to live better. More pleasing, more at peace, enjoying the things of God and obedience is the key. Listen, now let me give you some verses. Isaiah 1:19. If ye be willing and obedient, Ye shall eat the good of the land. Now, he's not talking about prosperity in this prosperity gospel-driven society. He's talking about a a walk with God. If you be willing and obedient, man, you're going to walk with God better. Let me give you another example. I'm reading, I love the historical books of the Old Testament. I'm reading 1 Samuel. And in chapter 15, verse 22, King Saul was told by God to to go out and, and place the Amalekites under the ban, which simply means to wipe them totally. The king, everybody, wipe out the Amalekites. Well, the Bible tells us that, that King Saul thought he was doing right by partial obedience, and he wiped out everyone except the king, and he took the best of the animals and the best of the goods. And because there was only partial obedience, there was total disobedience. And so God rejected him as king. And the prophet came and challenged him and said this to him, behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Now what he was saying is obedience is the most most important thing you'll ever do. Far more important than feigning even worship. So gang, there's no doubt, at least in my mind, and I and I believe your mind as well, that obedience is the key to life with God. And a life at peace with God. But we have to ask ourselves, where does this peace I so desperately seek start? Is, it a, is obedience an expression of what I do? Or does obedience begin with something much deeper inside of me? Well, if you were with us last week, the Apostle Paul tried to... Uh, uh, expressed to this wonderful church that he loves so deeply that the only way life works is when you live your life in the Lord. He tells them, be strong. He tells them, be sweet. You know, the two ladies were kind of at odds, and he's trying to work out. I don't know why he'd work out. You ought to just let women be women because, guys, we can't figure them out, and they can't figure us out. But he's trying to get them to be sweet. He said, be sweet. Be selfless. And then now he's wanting them to understand that before you can ever obey with your hands, you must obey with your hearts. You see, before the actions comes the attitude. And oh, dear church, 
that's messed me up for most of my Christian experience. Somehow in my mind, I've always thought you got to be doing, you got to be doing, you got to be performing. You can't slip up. And even to the extent that, that, that I didn't even check my heart in what I was doing or why I was doing it. And so before the actions has to come the attitude. I, let me give you a statement up there I think that, that we can throw up. Right thinking leads to right acting. Your thinking has got to be first. And you get your thinking down right then you can handle the other. One has rightly said the human mind is always setting itself on something. And that's right. Would you stand for just a moment? Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. And let me share what God has shared with me. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally. You see that? Finally, brethren. By the way, you ought to circle the word finally. It's a Baptist term. It means we're not even close yet getting done, okay? Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if these are conditional clauses, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, and here's the command, dwell on these things. And then verse 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Here's the next command. Practice these things, and here's the result. The God of peace will be with you. Father, I thank you for these two verses because it challenges me not to let myself run away with my feelings. It forces me to come back to the gospel of truth, the word of God. Father, I pray you'll help me now to share not just what I've studied, but in a way that the Holy Spirit will be pleased to drive this in whatever way it must happen, drive this biblical truth into the hearts of some who desperately, desperately need this today. And I pray it in Christ's name for his glory. Amen. All right, thank you. Be seated. Keep your Bible open if you would. You know that the word peace is translated 92 times in the New Testament using seven different words. 92 times, seven different words. Four of the seven words refer to being still, uh, chilling out, just being quiet and being still. One of the words refers to muzzling yourself. You know, we would say in our vernacular today, zipping the lip. There are times that guys, listen to me, men, husbands, would you listen to me for a minute? Sometimes the best thing you can do is keep your mouth shut. Hmm? Yeah. Walk away. Walk away. One of the words for peace, I mean, you know, is walk away. Okay, zip it. And the other word means to be at rest. And so the overall writing idea, I think, of peace means calm down, think, and trust God. Think a little, trust a lot, and just be still before God. Proverbs 23, 7. 
For as a man thinks within himself, so he, he is. So who you are and who you really are is not that which is visible for other people to see in all your performance and all your activity and all this external stuff. But who you really are is who you are in the inside of you that God sees, you see. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a, a great preacher of years gone by, said that, that faith is essentially thinking. Faith is thinking right. Now, before I break down these words for a moment, I want you to hang with me. Because what I'm about to say... I think is crucially important, okay? The key to obedience is first thinking right, but it's thinking in accordance to God's word. Because God's word is the only truth that we have today that never changes, that will never lead us astray. It's the bedrock upon which we are to build our lives. And gang, let me tell you what I think. I think there's been a lot of emotionalism that has crept into our theology, feeling-driven. I think that's one reason why so many Christians today accept same-sex marriage. Listen, they love God. They love Christ. But instead of basing their decisions on God's Word... They base it upon feelings and emotions and, and, and desires. You see, God's word is very clear that it's not about that. You can't live your life based upon feelings or desire. You have to base your life upon God's design, and God's design is communicated to us in the word of God called the Bible. And God's word is clear. His design from the beginning, affirmed by Jesus is one man to one woman for life. Male and female, he created. And by the way, when I get through with this idea of peace, we're going to deal with homosexual marriage. Male and female, God created them. Now, if I'm not going to, to grab God's word and hold fast to God's word, I'm going to allow my thinking to be driven toward emotions or feelings our desires and feeling-driven emotions are beginning to dominate our theology and lead us down a path that's going to cause the church incredible challenges. You'll hear things like, well, you know, who am I to judge? It's not about judging. Well, they really love each other. They really have a desire and care. Listen, there's a lot of things I desire. I desire a yacht. You know, that only is going to happen. And even if I could, I wouldn't, see? And so if I'm going to live by desire or feelings, or if I'm going to say, well, they, they just, they, they're not happy with, uh, she's not happy with a guy, so uh, she's, she's happy with a girl. If my feelings dominate that, well, then I can somehow rationalize that, and I have then have to set aside the Word of God, and the Word of God's clear. Male and female, he created them. You see the tension that happens? And we've got to figure out how we're going to deal with it, church. Without being mean-spirited, I, I haven't got there yet. I, I tell you, I'm wrestling through it. How, how can I tell someone, it can't be about your feelings. It's got to be about the Word of God. 
And we have to communicate that in a way that allows the Holy Spirit to, to be used to help them see truth. And I don't have that figured out. All I know is that if I don't get my thinking right, then my heart's not going to be right. And my feelings may dominate or at least push me in areas that's not very healthy for me, you see. And what's happening, I think, in so many places in our faith families today, that instead of being... Uh, ruled by the revelation of God, we become ruled by this desires and feelings. And I want to tell you, we say, well, we, we just, we love them. You don't love someone unless you share truth with them. If I love someone and I, I see them doing things they shouldn't be doing that's to their detriment, their harm, if I really love them, shouldn't I say to them, dude, or do that, you're in real trouble here, see? And I would expect you to do the same, Tom, I, I'm not sure you're, you're, you know, you're doing right here. I, if I love someone, I just don't let them go to hell without at least some kind of loving, truthful confrontation. You see what I'm getting at? And so in this emotional theology all wraps us all up and, and then the only thing we can do is set this aside. When we set that aside, okay, we're in for all kinds of trouble. And I want to tell you, I think the church, I think ultimately it's going to be good for us, but I think the church is in for some challenging years because I don't think we have pastors willing to stand on the word and, and live by the word and die by the word. And so we've got to take the word, okay? Well, let's do some, let's do some, let's do some, let's work on our head today, Okay? Let's do some brain surgery. Some of you need it, okay? Okay, I, I want you to, let's ponder some things, okay? Let me tell you what, what Paul does in verse 8. He gives us six thought patterns. Then he gives us two clauses. Maybe, one, maybe better to say for conditional phrases. And then he, he pulls it together by issuing, you, issuing us a command, okay? Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at verse 8, okay? He begins, finally, brethren, remember, that doesn't mean anything. Whatever is true. How about the word dependable? Whatever in this life is really dependable. And I want to suggest to you, in this world of floating truth, depending on whatever feels good at the moment, the one thing that we have to be assured of that never changes is the Word of God. God's revelation is the only truth that we're going to find in our world today. Don't take the paper or the newspaper at its face value. Take the Word of God as face value. Okay? All right, secondly, honorable. Well, what is that? Well, let's say noble. Whatever is respectful. Whatever has dignity. It's actually from a word that you can trace back to worship. Whatever is worthy of worship. And young people, I don't know about you, but the only person I know that's really worthy of worship is God and the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, upon the altar for your sin and my sin. So whatever is honorable or whatever is noble. Number three, whatever is right, that word just. Uh, whatever is at harmony with God. Listen, if it's not at harmony with God, I wouldn't think about it. Whatever's pure, whatever's holy, whatever's clean, whatever's lovely, whatever's gracious, patient, even generous. 
Whatever is of good repute. In other words, how does this sit with other? Is it admirable? How does it sit with other people? You say, well, I don't care what other people think. Why don't you care what other people think? Because eternity is the ultimate conclusion of people's lives. We ought to care what other people think. You ought to care what other people think about you. Now, I realize what I'm saying. Understand what I'm saying. Maybe I should say it that way. We ought to, the faith family of Jesus Christ ought to care what people say about the bride of the Lord Jesus and the body of Christ, you see. And then he kind of summarizes. He says, if, that's conditional, if, if, it's, if, if there's any excellence, if it, is it excellent? Hmm? Is it worthy of praise? Ask yourself those things that you're thinking about. And if it is, then he uses the command, dwell. Now, let me deal with that. Dwell on these things. We get the English word logic from it, okay? Gang, what I'm telling you is this. You and I, especially in the culture in which we live today, we have to think. You know, when I was a kid and did kid stuff, my daddy used to say things like, Tom, did you even think about this? You know, or I would say to my son, uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I would say, did you even engage your brain when you were thinking about doing it? That's kind of the idea here. We got to think. It's not just consider it, but evaluate it, calculate it, imitate it. Now, again, listen to me. This word requires believers. If you're not a believer, if you're not sure about it, this may not resonate with you. This word requires believers to discipline their mind. So when their mind begins to go off where it shouldn't, or when the enemy begins to attack, there is a default that kicks in and we shift our minds and our thinking back to verse 8. You, under, you, you, you get that? You know, we're in this computer age. And uh, I don't know really a lot about computers. I know that over a period of time, I have a tendency to get my computer out of whack. And it doesn't work right. It doesn't, it's slow. And, and all these things begin to, and I don't, you know, if Scott's not around, I'm in trouble, you know. But there's this thing in my computer that I can take my mouse and click on, and it's called a default. And if I click on that default, all that junk that I've messed up and, and, and did all whatever long I've done it, it, it erases it all, and it takes it back to the starting point. It's called a default, Right? Now listen, in, in, in a silly kind of way, or a Tom illustration way, when we allow all these things to begin to divide our mind and we begin to imagine all these monsters under the bed, or when my mind begins to go to places it shouldn't go, and I begin thinking things I shouldn't think, and then I get in this season not of obedience but season of disobedience, therefore I'm really not in tune with God real well. Maybe I'm just tired, spiritually dry, or whatever the case may be, and I'm beginning to allow things to enter my mind I've got to have a default 
that I click that takes me back to the starting. The reason I say this may be the most important sermon some of you believers will ever hear is because you've allowed so much junk. And in this culture, there's so much junk out there. And we begin to try to evaluate all this junk when the Bible tells us the answer. It tells us this is our default, people. And so when I get into this I thinking mess and all that, I need to have a default that kicks me right back to verse 8. Whatsoever, Tom, whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honorable. Tom, is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of good repute? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise, Tom? Then logically... Tom, grab hold, calculate it out, imitate it, let it be your default. And gang, I'm telling you, verse 8 ought to be on your every mirror in your bathroom. It ought to be on every dash of your cars. It ought to be memorized, young people, so that with this inundation of all this Tommy rot we get today and these voices, these silent, I mean vocal minority voices that tend to lead us, we kick back to verse 8 and we evaluate everything we hear and see and read with verse 8. Everything you think, verse 8. See, there's some things Paul says that we ought to ponder and make them part of our life. And then if you look for a moment, verse 9, and I'll be through, there's some things not just we should ponder, but some things we ought to practice. These things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, isn't that amazing, in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Amazing statement that Paul would say that, you know. Things you've seen me do. Few of us would say that. Few of us could say, could say that, right? But Paul did. You know, we might say something like, well, you know, the good you see in me keep, the bad you see in me throw away, and don't tell anybody, you know. But Paul doesn't do that, you know. He says, what you've seen in my life, practice. Now, let me tell you, it's an important word. It means to repeatedly and habitually do. And so the idea is that after you get your thinking on right, then you start the doing right, and the more the doing right you do, the easier it will become to do right. And that's, that's just basic disciplines. Gang, the more bad you do, the easier it is to do bad. The more bad thinking you do, the easier it is to do bad thinking. The more good you do, the easier it is to do good. Isn't that right? I remember some years ago I, I was preaching, and it was back in those days when I was a little younger and dumber, and uh, I uh, just hated summer because everybody would go on vacation. And so I would just fuss about the church being gone. Now I, now I love vacations. In fact, I think our personnel committee ought to double our vacations. I love every bit of it, you know. But back then, I just thought the whole church was going to hell because we were having going on, people were on the beach, you know. And some of you have been on the beach. Well, I was, I, so I said, I shouldn't have said, but I, I think I said basically was, you know, I'm telling you, church, be careful. You missed three weeks. And you're in trouble, you know. The, the glow will turn cold. The ashes will turn gray. You know, you've heard that before. And the little girl was 
well, doing what kids do in church, drawing pictures while the preacher's preaching, you know. And, and, uh, but she heard. And so she came up to me after the service, gave me a picture. And on the top it says, if you miss three weeks, you're going to hell. <laughs> I, I never said that. I want you to know. I may have wanted to say that at times. But I never said that. But there's a little bit of truth. The more bad you do, isn't it easier to do bad? And the more good you do, isn't it easier to do good? I remember when I was trying to quit smoking. I smoked for 10 years. And, uh, man, it was hard to give up smoking. You know, I, lo- I, I just tell you, I like cigarettes, man. You know, I like chewing. I like to spit and the whole thing. And uh, I remember trying to quit. And I went, um, gosh, I think I went three weeks or so. And uh, I thought, gosh, I, I got this thing whipped, you know. And, uh, and then I got a cigarette from a friend. I think everybody who smokes wants to quit. They just like to bum. Because I quit buying, I started bumming. But anyway, I gave in. And when I gave in, it was like I couldn't get enough of it. And I had to start the process all over again. Now, gang, young people, what I'm telling you is this. When you do right, it's easier to do right. But once you do wrong and you give yourself to wrong, it's easier to do wrong. Your parents would be embarrassed to tell you because they don't want you to know what they did. But the fact is, do right. Think right. And the more you think right, the more you'll think right. And then you begin putting it into practice. And when you start doing right, you do more right. And you do more right. And that's the basic Christian life in a nutshell. And now notice the result he gives to us. And the God of peace will be with you. Last week we saw where he will guard our hearts and minds. The peace of God will guard our heart and mind. Now he says, I'll be with you. Oh, beloved, listen to me. I know of no more comforting thoughts in this world of convicting values than the truth of knowing that God is with us. You're going to read about everything under the sun and all these prayers, but I want you to know God is with his believers. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son. They shall call, they, they, they shall call him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Our thoughts and our actions must be regulated, not by our feelings nor our experiences, but they must be regulated by God's revelation, His truth, the Word of God. We call it the Bible. Again, we have no other recourse. We don't have to apologize for it. We may be called upon to argue it, maybe. But the fact of the matter is, I have nothing else to say to you on Sundays. Our teachers have nothing else to say to you in Sunday school class. Whether it be children, youth, or adults, the only thing I can say to you is, thus saith the Bible. This is the one thing that will never change. And we have to let it regulate us. We can't give in to our feelings. I, in our first service, I, I don't want to go too long. Uh, in our first service, I, I kind of close with an illustration. Because I think this emotional theology is beginning to take its toll on the church. And I, and I said to them, and I'll say to you, that when you leave here today and you go out on service road, uh, you're going to start driving along there, and you're going to see a sign that says 55 miles an hour, okay? 
Now, you may say, hey, I, don't, I don't like that. Or I don't feel like going 55. Uh, I care more than that. And I just feel like I want to go 75. And that's fine. You may be part of our jail ministry one day if you do, right? But I, I, but gang, listen to me. Somebody, somewhere, somebody in authority decided that the safest speed along the servers right here, out here is 55 miles an hour. I didn't decide that. Somebody else decided that. I've got to decide whether I'm going to live within that or do my own thing. Well, if I believe in our civil government or our policeman or whoever decides that, I have to believe that they know what they're doing because that's the safe speed, right? And I can't trust my heart because my heart may say go 70 or my heart may go say go 80 or my heart may say, don't worry about it, just go, brother, go. But I, if I do that, I'm doing wrong. And it's the same way with my heart. If I keep dealing in my heart and, and messing with my heart, I'm going to not pay attention to what's said here. And so I'm going to allow myself to get out of a boundary that God never intended me to get out of. And so all I have for you, and all we teachers have, and all of our kids' teachers, all we have is the Bible. And, and, and there's nothing else that will work. But it works. It works. And you know it does. Because so many of you have had your eternity changed because of God's spe special revelation, the Word of God. Well, let's do this. Let's bow our heads for a moment. We're going to have some get ready for baptism. They're going to be um, slipping out to do that. Stu's going to be coming. We're going to have a time of invitation. I don't know where you stand today. All I know is, gang, the biggest challenge that I have in my life is my brain, is my thought life. It's, it, I battle it just like you do. I've have a, I have a story just like you have a story. Uh, I wish I didn't, but I do. And it, it troubles me at times. It eats me up, and the enemy knows it, so that's how he attacks me. And the only thing I can do is have a default. Verse 8 is the greatest verse in the Bible for the default. I just wish I could remember it better. Now, Father, in Jesus' name, we take a few moments here. God, whatever you want to do to whoever you want to do it, we ask you to do it. And you alone will be the glory, get the glory. I thank you for these that are being obedient to you. May you bless them today as they obey you. Be with our mission teams, some as they come home, some as they leave. God, as we think about and gear up for the fall, God, I, I pray you'll, you'll, you'll help us stay in sync with you. I pray, God, for our search team as we look for our children's pastor, that, God, you'll bring us exactly the right person. And, God, that, that Indian Springs will always be quick to place you in the front and we as followers. And I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. We